With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. So Hughes lost the sack race. Hello and welcome to episode 18, yes, 18 of the Real Football Cast. I guess now we're all grown up. I'm your host Dan Tracy and in the next 60 minutes I'll be dissecting all the hot topics in football. As per usual, I'll be discussing what has been going on in the Premier League over the past few days. But in addition to that, there's also some off-pitch activities that have caught my eye and they'll be getting my attention in the next hour. Now, joining me tonight, I have no one because I did have two chaps on the Playmakers FC podcast. But weirdly, in the last few hours, their Twitter page has just disappeared. Um, maybe they don't like me. Maybe it's something I've said. I don't know. But, as they say, the show must go on. And that's exactly what we'll be doing this evening. So, um, hold those thoughts. There are no thoughts, actually. Let's just crack on. i best do some social media bits first. Otherwise, we'll be talking to the Abyss once more. First, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at DanTracy1983. Anything show-related, send it my way. You can find me via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. And if you are a user of that platform, then don't forget to subscribe to me so you don't miss a single episode. And if you're not a fan of all things Apple, then you can also find me on SoundCloud and Acast. While the easiest way to find all the links is by going to realfootballcast.com. As you should know by now, the Real Football Cast is sponsored by Loserpool. What is Loserpool, I hear you ask? Well, it's a new game that sees betting turned on its head, with a focus being on the loser. If this has grabbed your interest, then be sure to visit loserpool.com and create an account. Especially as you can still sign up for the prize pool, which guarantees a winner, wait for it, £1,000. Something you will not want to miss out on. Now, the odds of winning are great, but they're even better if you sign up. Right then, it's time for me to go live. And where shall I go first? Oh, I don't know. Where shall I go? I could go anywhere. But what I'm going to go to is St Mary's. Because Mark Hughes has won, or should I say lost, the sack race. Going into Saturday's game against Manchester United, wasn't it? Yes, that's right. My memory's almost failed me there. Yes, it was against United. It was a must-win game. Although, you know, week before for Southampton, we were talking in terms of six-pointers as they went to uh, Craven Cottage to face Fulham. They were on the uh, the blunt end of that one, so they come over with no points. This one wasn't quite a six-pointer because, obviously, 
it's not really they weren't near each other in the table. But it was a must-win game because you've got Southampton trying to claw out of the bottom three. You've got United who are just limping into the top six. Well, they're not even in the top six, are they? They're on the fringes of the top six, still looking from the outside in. So, yes, I mean, a winner-take-all game in a certain kind of way. But it turns out a draw was not enough for Sparky. He is out. Um, where does Southampton go from here? Well, I guess... There'll be a small level of gratitude to Mark Hughes for the simple reason that, obviously, he was the man at the helm for the great escape. But, as always in Premier League management, it is a case of what have you done for me lately? And in terms of Southampton, not a lot. Because, what was it, one win since the start of the season? Six draws. So, you know, they've lost only 50% of their matches, which isn't the worst return. But, you know, really the, the important currency in football, as always, are goals and wins, and Southampton have neither, really. I mean, they've created a lot of shots to their, I guess, credit, but at the same time, their conversion rate is the lowest in the Premier League. I think when I looked at it earlier, off the top of my head, it was about 5.8%. So that suggests that just over 1 in 20, let's say 1 in 19 shots, goes in. So whether that's shots or shots on target, just shots in general, just 1 in 19. So what a difference someone at the sharper end of the pitch who could actually put the ball in the net, would make for Southampton. You know, turn those six draws, say three of them into three wins, they'd be on 12 points, much more comfortable in relation to where they are now. But um, yeah, it's just not been good for Southampton. Like I say, where do they go from here? Well, they're looking like they're going to go for the Austrian Klopp. Now, whether one Jurgen Klopp's enough in the Premier League is up for debate, but... Um, yes, Ralph Husenhartel. I do struggle with those foreign names, as Alan Brazil used to say, but... Yep, he's been strongly linked with the post, the former RB Leipzig manager. Um, I guess for Southampton, it's a step into the unknown. But at the same time, um, it would be good that they're not really going down the usual Moyes, Allardyce, Pardew axis of evil that usually sort of rears its head at this start of, you know, the start of the year, shall I say, because it's getting to that point of the season, isn't it? Chairman are going to get a bit jittery if results don't go their way over Christmas. And those three firefighters are ready, waiting for the call. And, uh, yeah, so I think credit to Southampton in that aspect because, um, you know, they they are prepared to take a risk. Um, you know, they took a risk with Pochettino, didn't they? Um, was it, I can't remember now, six years ago, five years ago? Um, obviously done my research. But, yeah, I mean, when people saw his appointment from Espanyol, everyone was going, who or why? Do you know what I mean? It's like a bit of a head-scratcher, really, but... The joke was on everyone else who sort of um, went against that one because Southampton were an excellent team under Pochettino, something that was then continued under Ronald Koeman. Um, but since his departure, it has been diminishing returns. It's almost a death of a thousand cuts, really, when you consider that Claude Puyol, um finished eighth, got into a League Cup final, still wasn't deemed good enough, went... Um, who was next after that? Mauricio Pellegrino. Yeah, God, there have been too many managers in such a short space of time. So, you know, they're trying to find something that works. It's obviously not been working at the moment. So hopefully, in terms of Houston Hartle, he'll be the man to give him a little bit more cohesion, longevity. But, you know, they've been looking for the next person to carry on in that same vein as Pochettino and Koeman. It's just not really worked. I mean, obviously, they've not been helped by the fact that they've sold most of their team to Liverpool. Um and not just sort of Liverpool, but that's not helped them really. The production line has not really been re replenishing, shall I say, the sort of talent that has 
gone away over the last few seasons. So yeah, I mean the the quality base of Southampton has subsided slightly, but like I said, only really needs a goal scorer for them to give him a bit of difference. But yes, um, interesting times at St Mary's. It was an interesting game on Saturday. As for the game itself, a lightning fast start for the Saints. It looked like it was going to be one of those games, well, the game, shall I say, that Mourinho's head was on the chopping block. Because like I said earlier, uh, winner takes all in the sense that if you lose, you're out. But Mourinho's almost like a cockroach, isn't he? You know, if you had a nuclear war, it would be the only thing that survives is Jose Mourinho and a cockroach. Because it just has a matter of no matter how hard you try and kill him off, he still survives. And he lives to fight another game, which um, actually is tomorrow. This is recorded Tuesday night, so... Um, I haven't got a crystal ball, but they face Arsenal. It's not quite the Mourinho-Wenger battle of old. It's now going to be a new era of Mourinho and Emery. So it'll be interesting to see if Arsenal can sort of break that hoodoo, especially after the result on Sunday. More of that in a minute. Um, yes, I need to get that one out of the way because, unfortunately, I'm a Tottenham fan. Um, actually, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Unfortunately, in the sense of the result, I'm a Tottenham fan, shall I say. So, yes, let's, uh, let's go to North London now then. So... Where do you start? I mean, from a neutral point of view, it was a good game. Blood and thunder, a dying breed. You don't see many of them anymore, especially with the uh, the fisticuffs after Eric Dyer's goal. Um, yeah, I mean, it was just a bit of a throwback to a bygone era when men were men, shall I say. Um, <laughs> but yeah, in terms of the football, Arsenal just wanted it more, really. I think if you looked at Tottenham the week before, when they were straight out of the blocks against Chelsea from minute one, as a Tottenham fan, you thought, we're going to get something out of this. You can't guarantee a win in football, but you thought, do you know what? Yes, Chelsea on the ropes. It's ours to to you know, to not win. Look at Sunday, it's almost the inverse. It was the inverse, wasn't it? Arsenal flying out the blocks. They just looked up for it. Everything that was contested was won by Arsenal. Pressure from the off. Just the fact that the two sort of systems, you had Tottenham playing a midfield diamond, which invited width for Arsenal and they took full advantage of that as playing wing-backs. So the likes of Davis and Aurier were pinned back, doubled up and it just created so much headaches in the first 15 minutes. You have Vertonghen having a brain lapse, not the only one to have one this weekend where he handballed it and you just think, what are you doing? This is meant to be like a world-class Belgian defender. Has that aberration. You know, Next thing we know, Arsenal 1-0 up. I mean, it could have been cut and shut or, you know, home and hosed before half-time if Arsenal had got a second because they looked like that they were going to land a knockout blow. I know it was a good weekend for boxing with Wilder and Fury, but it looked like that kind of, if we're looking in boxing terms, they were, I don't know, rounds ahead. They were just looking for the uh, the killer punch and they they nearly found it. Credit to Lloris for making some much-needed saves. And then somehow Tottenham found himself in front, undeservedly perhaps. You've got to give him some credit for getting himself back in the game and making an honest contest of it for at least a little bit. But um, yeah, Eric Dyer's goal was relatively soft from an Arsenal point of view. What Bernardo was doing on the near post, he should have made um, much more of that. You know, a better save, shall I say, but not the worst howler from a goalkeeper that we'll see in the weekend. We'll talk of that in a minute. But yeah, and then this sort of scuffle, I don't know if it sparked Arsenal to think, right, you know, we can't let them win on our turf. If it did, it didn't work in the short term because it's almost if the heads had gone just, what, 90 seconds, two minutes later when Tottenham rewarded a penalty. It's a bit of an iffy one. I don't know if Mike Dean thought, oof, need to, need to level this one up because um, 
you've obviously you've seen them given, and they were given on Sunday, but there wasn't much in that tackle. I think Son, shall I say, invited the contact, knew it was coming, braced for impact, got the got the foul, got the penalty. Harry Kane's never really going to miss that one. Obviously, he didn't. Tottenham two one ahead, and you thought, hmm, actually, you know, how how has this happened? Not to complain, but Arsenal were definitely the aggressor, and. Uh, should have been at least level in terms of shots, chances. It felt that they were hard done by in terms of the score in the first 45 minutes. But as always, in a game of that magnitude, after the break, the next goal is always the most important, you know, to use an Andy Gray cliche, but it it really is. Tottenham were presented with a perfect opportunity when Bellerin played a sideways hospital pass, picked up by Son, and he just thought, do you know what? If he just took an extra touch, I think he snatched it too, too quickly Try to give Leno the eyes, and then you think to yourself, oh, there's probably another touch in there. I think he had at least three, four yards to move into the space and then wrap it into the top corner. If he scores that, 3-1, it's almost as good as game over. You look at when Tottenham went to Chelsea last season, did exactly that, you know, went behind. Christian Eriksen got an absolute rasp before the break, and then 2-1, 3-1, game over. He just needed that, that one more goal to take the wind out of Arsenal's sails. Unfortunately, that didn't materialise. And really, you could argue that the game was run in the technical area. Unai Emery's substitutions at half-time were match-winning, quite simply. Aaron Ramsey, Lacazette, the influence they had from the off in the second half was incredible. And then, you know, Aubameyang, you've got to give him his due. His second goal was incredible. The game of the, the goal of the game, shall I say, um, so, you know, you have to hold your hands up as much as it pains you as a Tottenham fan. But at the same time, when Tottenham collapsed, they really collapsed at the Emirates. You know, we've had two five twos, head had gone there, 4-2. Next thing you know, Vertonghen sent off a real day for to get, uh, to forget, shall I say. I can't even talk now. I'm that gutted. But, um, but yeah, in terms of the race for the top four, you can't win that race in December. You know, you can get ahead, you can get an advantage. You can certainly win the bragging rights, which Arsenal have got for the next few months. Let's not forget that Arsenal beat Tottenham last season at the Emirates 2-0. And what, they finished six. So if we look at the boom and bust cycle of Arsenal, the implosion post-Christmas is still there. It's still still waiting to happen. That did happen under Arsene Wenger quite a few times, although you know they still, more often than not, got over the line finishing the top four. Last two seasons were different, but obviously with that being different... Unai Emery is a different man in charge, so you have to think, is that implosion going to happen? If it does, then it plays into Tottenham's hands. If it doesn't, it makes the race for top four much difficult. What Tottenham have got to console themselves, I guess, is the fact that it's only goal difference that separates the two teams. They've still played a lot more home games than they have away, so they've got that sort of in the locker when the, uh, the fixture computer balances itself out in the second half of the season. So... Yeah, in a defeat in isolation, it's probably the worst. Well, it is the worst defeat you can have all season. Arguably, the one at home would be worse, say, if you lost at the new stadium or you know, or even Wembley. But yeah, losing up to Arsenal at any juncture is not good. Um, all they can do is dust themselves off. They've got Southampton on Wednesday night. So whether you listen to this before or after, I don't know. But with Southampton, with a, a change of manager, obviously it's a, a caretaker at the moment, Kelvin Davis. You don't know if that's the best time to play them or the worst time to play them because we talk of new manager bounce. I don't know how much of an effect Kelvin Davis can have because he'd probably be working there for one game at most. But just a change of ideas, a lifting of mood. Um, so yeah, it's 
a difficult game for Tottenham because they don't want to take Southampton too easily. I don't think Southampton will be um, too easy to to get the better of. So it'll be interesting to see how that one pans out. But uh, yes, let's go to... Where should we go next? Let's go to Merseyside. Let's mix it up a bit. So yes, Liverpool. They keep the pressure up on Manchester City in, what, dramatic circumstances, I guess. Dibbuk Origi seems to be the absolute scourge of Everton. That's now his third goal in Derby fixtures. And what a way to win the game because it was a game that was highly charged as always. Always an entertaining derby, the Merseyside derby. Um, but Liverpool looked frustrated. I don't even think they really had the better of the chances when you sort of weigh up what actually took place. I know they got the points, but Everton will feel hard done by for... Well, I think... I don't know if hard done by is a word. I think they'll be frustrated in not taking those chances. And that's probably the difference between a team which is classed part of the big six and a team which is currently in the top six Everton obviously fill that gap at the moment because of Manchester United's failure to or their aversion to win matches but you know Everton need to be consistently churning out results they've had a good run of form lately but I think that's the difference really isn't it that marker where you thought if they win on Sunday they'll solidify top six and then you think well actually do you know what they they might be able to be a, a good push for Europe I mean, they've not been Desettled too much because they still are six, but it would have been a real sort of boost for them. And then you sort of think after the back of drawing against Chelsea, confidence grows further, and you, they might be in the mix for really sort of just being on the fringes of the Europa League place. It could still happen, but uh, yeah, we'll have to see how that one pans out. But back to the game, we're sort of just going off course a little bit. But yes, 96th minute, you think, well, this is it, last roll of the dice, nothing really happening. Send everyone up by the goalkeeper. Virgil van Dijk loops a god awful shot up in the air, and 99 times out of 100. Jordan Pickford claims that one out of the sky of ease. You know, that is bread and butter. Meat and drink, as they say in football. However, Origi must have thought his Christmas had come early, as he was presented with the most simple gift or simple goal he'll ever score. Now, as a goalkeeper, I'm not one. I played five aside. That's about it. Um, you, Jack, you have to ask, what is going through Pickford's mind at that point? Because you can't really condone a lapse like that. Same as Vertonghen, really. It's not... a some good players have come out in a bad light this weekend because, you know, all you've got to do is just claim the ball out of the sky. Whether he's been slightly impeded by his own crossbar, you could argue, but then surely that comes down to bad positioning and he's got to take the better command of his area. Also, why on earth are the Everton players looking to the assistant linesman as if a foul is going to be given? You can't give a foul against an inanimate object like the goal. It just doesn't really work, does it? So, I've done if that was just like a reaction to try and get Pickford out of a mess but obviously it didn't work and Liverpool get the points that wasn't the real headline from the game though was it it was Jurgen Klopp's 100 metre sprint in celebration now a difficult one really in the sense that do you condone it because you, if you did so then you'd have managers run on the pitch every week um, if like Mourinho United beat Arsenal you know running on the pitch la di da I mean he's got form for that so you need to show some constraint, but then you take into the account the fact it's a Merseyside derby, it's the way the game has been won. Um, he's been slapped with a misconduct charge, Jurgen Klopp. Will he really care? I, I don't, don't think he will, to be honest. I mean, all he cares about is the three points. It'll be a slap on the wrist, a ban. Well, I don't think it'll even be a ban, like a, a fine of some paltry amount, which would be half a day's wages, etc., etc. So... It'll, and it'll be forgotten about in a week or two, if that. It will be yesterday's news, but it almost is. It's what now Tuesday, and no one's really caring about it, are they? So, yeah, I mean, let's 
let's sort of weigh it up on the balances of what's gone on, the scenario, the situation. Just don't do it again, Jurgen. Okay, you've been told. Um, okay, where should we go now? The let's go to the West London. Yes, because conveniently the fixed computer. I don't know how. Um, spitted out three three derbies on Sunday. Now call me a cynic, but I think, as I said last week, I think someone's been tampering with that, or Sky have been um, hacking in and getting the cheat codes because there's no real reason that three derbies should be played the same day. But as an armchair fan on Sunday, you shouldn't complain because it was water wall football. And the first of those derbies did take us to Stamford Bridge. And to be honest, we didn't really learn all that much as Chelsea bounced back to winning ways after their abject defeat to Tottenham the week before. I mean, really, the game was done and dusted within the first few minutes, wasn't it? An early goal from Chelsea, a bad goal for Fulham to concede. I think, if anything, Claudio Ranieri, obviously I'm not a fly on the wall, but the team talk would have been something along the lines of first 10, 15 minutes, settle into the game, don't do anything stupid, don't get caught in possession, let's just be direct, let's not try and be too fancy against a team like Chelsea. What do they do? First five minutes, try and be fancy, get caught in possession, etc, etc. Goal for Chelsea. And that was it, really. I mean, it was just a, a case of how many Chelsea would score. I mean, Fulham are looking better, don't get me wrong, um, under Ranieri. It's still a very small sample, two matches, but at least they're not leaking goals um, left, right and centre. I mean, well, actually, that's not the the most truth in that statement, is it? Because they've conceded four, so it doesn't. they're not getting hammered, but um, at least they did get that win in the six-pointer, in inverted commas, so they've given themselves a bit of breathing space. But, um, yeah, still work to do for Ranieri. It'd be interesting. I don't know. It's When you compare his work at Leicester, no one's obviously comparing wanting him or expecting him, shall I say, to to win the Premier League title or anything stupid like that. The job, really, is is it a harder one? Arguably it is because you're sort of working with players who are down in confidence, taking absolute battering in the first third of the season. And now the job is survival. And it, whether that's the case of the crop of players he's got rolling up their sleeves, digging in, getting results, which is not a million miles away from what they can do because there are good players there. But the sticking point might be whether Ranieri says, well, this isn't my squad. I'm working with other people's players. You know, I've inherited a squad. And with January knocking on the door and the window that will open with it, teams at the bottom are usually the ones that will find the money if it means staying up. I mean... Southampton could be a perfect example. With a new manager coming in, pretty much exactly the same scenario. These aren't necessarily my players. I want to get some names that I'm used to working with or names I can trust. From a Southampton point of view, it's I need a goal scorer because I can't really work with what I've got. I mean, don't get me wrong, Danny Innes, Charlie Austin, they put a shift in, but that shift is not turning into goals at the moment, is, they, is there? So, um, so, yeah, having teams at the bottom, you could say that, Bottom seven, bottom eight, that, that bracket, if you sort of split it into to mini leagues, let's say from 13th downwards, if you don't invest, you get left behind. You have to be really careful. Newcastle, I guess, is the same. Do they roll the dice? I know Mike Ashley said um, today that he's hoping to sell the club in January, but we've heard this one before as well. It's a lot of smoke that comes with, oh, you know, get excited, a new owner. I think it was last year as well. It seems to be every year, repeat process of, the club is on the fringe of being sold and it almost masquerades the fact that there's no players coming because you can't be seen to authorise transfer spend if you're leaving the club, that kind of scenario. So, And then it only draws the eye of Newcastle fans when it gets to February. And oh look, who still owns the club? Mike Ashley. So yeah, 
take that with a pinch of salt. But uh, yes, those sort of teams in that, that bottom bracket, they have to decide, especially with the, the table being quite close. No one's had a sort of horror show start like Crystal Palace. You know, it's a, a firm bunch of teams and you have to think to yourself, right, do these 25 players that I have at the moment, are they going to be the ones that are going to get me out of trouble or do I have to look and get new names in? And usually it's the latter. So it'll be interesting to see what business in the bottom half because compared to the top half, they're usually settled. Like the likes of City, Liverpool. I mean, I don't think Tottenham will sign anyone. I think not because they they can't or they won't. It's just the fact that I think if they weren't going to buy anyone in the summer or they couldn't, then I don't think anything's going to change come the turn of the year. So that top end of the business is probably going to be already wrapped up by the odd signing. Maybe sort of Arsenal might get someone in. Chelsea could look for a forward if there's someone on the market, but that might be unlikely in January. It is the bottom teams where you think, right, it's either spend or run the risk of looking back in May and thinking, oh, do you know what? If only we dabbled in the transfer market, we wouldn't be in the bottom three, but that's all it is there. Let's go to Manchester City now, as they made relatively light work of Bournemouth. I say relatively light work. It could have been interesting as the two teams were level at half-time. However, it was just another game where City went up through the gears. And again, you don't really learn too much from that. Bournemouth have been... I wouldn't say unlucky, but they have been second best in the last few clashes. To them, though, the fixture computer has not been kind because they've had a run that has included Man United, Arsenal, Man City. Um, however, at the time of recording, they are tuning up against Huddersfield at home. So that might be the uh, the tonic they need to get them back into winning ways. Because, you know, look at their league placing. They're still top half. There's no disgrace there at all. It's just, I think they've had a... a Tough run of fixtures. Maybe Eddie Howe's been a little bit too loyal to some of the players. I mean, certainly it was paying off at the start of the season. Um, so maybe it might be an opportunity to just re-jig things, especially with so many fixtures in December. You know, this is where you have to really find out the uh, the quality of your squad and how, how deep it can go. I know everyone has sort of 25 men, but in terms of actual squad depth, who can come in and do a job when the game's coming thick and fast, you know, you get to December, it could be as many as, what, six, seven. So it's going to be a test for the likes of, sort of Bour- uh, yeah, Bournemouth, Watford, those kind of squads. Um, but yeah, in terms of City, can you any can anyone see them not winning the league this season? I mean, what, no one's doubled up since 2009. They're averaging three goals a game at the moment, another three on Saturday. Um, I mean, Liverpool are running them close at the moment. It must be frustrating for them because they keep winning and that's all they can do because if you draw, it's almost like a defeat because you're just giving another two points to City and you'd think, well, when are you going to get them back? So Liverpool have to be mindful that that two doesn't turn into four. Obviously, it didn't at the weekend. And I guess the title race still continues. It is a race and that's a good thing from, a, I guess, a fan's point of view because last season, City won it at an absolute canter which isn't really good for the title race or the prestige of the championship. But at least we've got something a bit more honest this time around. So we'll have to see how that pans out in the next few weeks. The big question is, will City be um, invincible? That's another question you have to ask. I know I posed the question to JS last week at whether City could get 100-plus goal difference. What are we at at the moment? We were at 35 last week. We're at 37 now. So scored 43, conceded 6. If you extrapolated that over two-thirds, 37 times 3 is 111. Now doing the maths, drop one game off. Let's say 
plus 108. So if they keep winning at this rate they're doing, they could do it. It's not outside the realms of possibility. No one really sort of thought that someone would ever get 100 points. And that barrier has been broken. The only thing that might stop Manchester City is Manchester City themselves. Because if they go into the Champions League last stages, this is a tournament they really, really want to win. They almost sort of need to win if they want to be considered one of Europe's true elite. Because they are sort of a elite in terms of money and the uh, you know the upper echelons of finance. But in terms of actually elite in winning trophies, they're not there yet. They're in that sort of second bracket. As good as they are, you need to, to deliver. So it'd be interesting to see if, you know, eggs in the basket scenario, you get to March, April, you've got a big quarter final against Real Madrid, but you've also then got Watford at home. Do changes be made? What do you sacrifice? We're in sort of crystal ball time again, but that is the scenario that could stop them from winning the league. You know, it might stop them from, um, yeah, from dominance, really. That's the thing. Do City want the Champions League more than the Premier League? Yes, is probably the answer. Can they compete on both fronts? They probably can, but it's that's easier said than done, isn't it? We'll have to wait and see how that one pans out. Let's, um, do you know what? Let's have a quick stop from talking Premier League action. Let's go to the Ballon d'Or Awards last night. Now, Luka Modric has won the Men's Award, and he's, with that, broken the men's duopoly that was between Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo. Was it the right person? Yeah, it probably was, to be fair. I mean, winning the Champions League again, getting Croatia to the World Cup final and a sort of sterling set of performances to boot. There wasn't many contenders that could have pushed him close. Mbappe was another one. Probably a little bit too early for him. I know you could argue, OK, he's won the World Cup, but from an overall package for the season, you'd have to say Luka Modric really for what he's done. Um, how Lionel Messi finished fifth? I don't know. Is the Ballon d'Or an absolute nonsense? Probably. I don't know. I mean, the whole nonsense with the Women's Award, I'm not saying that's the nonsense, but the, the twerking scandal, you just think, oh, like, it's just all vulgar, isn't it? Like, what is the point? What is the point of giving an individual award in a team sport? It's just, uh, it's, a, it's an irrelevance, really. It's, it's great if you're a player, you can harp on about being the best in the world, but... It's a it's a fluff piece at best, really, isn't it? So we'll move quickly on. See that little little segue there. That's about it, really. I can't really think of anything else. Oh, actually, yes, the um, the Copa de Libertadores. As I predicted last week, I keep somehow influencing the game's governing bodies because on this podcast we have spoken about um, VAR being implemented coming in next season. That's a tick for the real football cast. Well done, us. Uh, kicked in the bin. Carl was kind enough to uh, mention that he feels that any substitutes after 90 minutes should be scrapped and the IFAB are looking into that. So, yep, we'll take that one as well. And also, I said that the Copa de Libertadores should be played away from South America and it looks like it might be played in Madrid. So, that's another tick. We are making a difference, I tell you. So, any other sort of rules that you want to run past us and we can sort of try and get it into FIFA channels, just let us know because it seems like we've got a lot of clout here. We're doing all right. Not doing all right are Burnley. I mean, what has happened to them this season? Let's have a look at where they are. Um, start the season, Europa League campaign, going on the jollies. They've got the passport. They're going to Aberdeen. Not great. I know there was a trip to Olympiacos as well, but they're not in the Europa League. And at that point, you felt... 
is this going to be to the detriment of them because their sort of squad, I know like I've just mentioned that everyone has a 25-man squad, but you talk of actual squad depth and is there a person that can fill every position in a light-flight replacement? For City, for Liverpool, for Chelsea, you'd probably say yes. You would say yes. For Burnley, no, there isn't. Do you know what I mean? They've got a core nucleus of, say, 13, 14 players. But if you're stretching it further than that, it will break. And that's where the problem's sort of set in early. But now, you can't really use that as an excuse. Just something's just not right. Um, it's not second season syndrome, because it's their third season in the Premier League. That in, in itself is not really a thing. I did some research a few weeks back, and it turns out that only nine clubs in the history of the Premier League have suffered relegation in terms of second season syndrome. So when we spout that, it's almost a cliche, really. Add it to the list of idioms in football. So yeah, Burnley can't sort of look at that as the uh, the reason. There's no sort of cure for that one. It must be the, the defence. If you look at their bedrock last season, you know, they were absolutely brilliant defence and the football wasn't pretty, was it? Let's be honest. But they were grinding out wins. And that was getting them 6th, 7th. You know, at one point they were above Arsenal. And you think, oh, hang on, what's going on here? But, um, yeah, this season, night and day. And it's been awful for Burnley. That's going to have to fix quickly. Because the rot is almost set in. And it's silly mistakes. It's bad traits. And you think to yourself, why is this sort of happening? Um... Because it's the same group of players fundamentally. I don't know if it's perhaps complacency after such a magnificent effort last season. They've got nothing in the tank. Sort of a parallel to what Leicester did when they won the league. I know Burnley didn't win the league, but finishing in seventh and getting to the Europa League almost feels like winning the league. But when you look at Leicester, they have an absolute heroic effort to win the Premier League and then just fell flat as a pancake the next season. So Burnley has sort of got a similar graph, if you can sort of visualise it in your head like I'm trying to do now, you've got a, a peak which isn't as high but its height has then slumped back to sort of the norm I guess so it'll be interesting, it's been a, a seesaw few years for Burnley, obviously they've been promoted as well, so promoted stayed up 7th now, so an interesting span of years for Burnley, but if you're a Burnley fan, would you take that? Would you take that? Let's say you got relegated Burnley fans, if you're out there, text in. Would you take that this season, getting relegated after having such a high last season? Or would you want to be like West Ham, for use of a better example, of just a flat line of 12th, 13th, 11th finishes? I know that actually, to be fair, they did finish quite high when uh, Claude... What was his name? Dimitri Payet, that was it. Not Claude Puel. He, he never played for West Ham. They had a good season that season. But even so, like they're not really done anything of note so would you want to be a fan of a club that has a boom and bust cycle or would you want to be a fan of a club that just sits in the Premier League with its head above water being absolutely fine picking up the TV money every year I don't know really It'd be, I mean I'm a Tottenham fan and we sort of are on a higher scale where we do nothing of note pick up the TV money sometimes play in Europe so yeah I shouldn't be a crone too much because the parallels are quite striking I mean yeah would you rather be a Tottenham fan or a Burnley fan who goes through that possibility of relegation? I don't know. After the last week, I'd rather be a Burnley fan for the, for the next for the space of the next half an hour. But I digress. Um, where should we go now? Leicester. Leicester are going about their business quite quietly at the moment, but it's doing them no trouble at all because they're eighth. 
Um, a win over Watford, comfortable. That win also sees them just a point behind Everton and Man United. So if we're sort of talking Everton in Europa League terms, why can't Leicester? You know, there's every reason why they could. They're not going to win the league this season. It's not going to be that dramatic. But yeah, there, there seems to be a, a tough outfit to beat at the moment. Um, like I say, I'm beating the last five. If the goal can keep coming, Vardy, it was always about keeping him fit. How many years has he got at the sort of top level? I know he's, I wouldn't say he's in the twilight of his career, but wrong side of 30. So it's about keeping him fit and managing his minutes. But behind him, it's a very sort of young and dynamic team, isn't it? I like the look of Madison and Gray. They're sort of just taken over from all Brighton. And obviously I know Mahrez has left, but it's evolution rather than revolution at the King Power. Uh, Claude Puel has finally sort of stamped his mark onto the team. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they're sort of a, a tough nut to crack. But even you talk to sort of Leicester fans or in those circles and they're like, well, Claude Puel is not quite the man for the job or he's not really won us over. So you sort of have to wonder if it's just him. Is it, a, I don't know, a dour personality perhaps because he didn't really win Southampton fans over. Well, actually, I don't Maybe that's an unfair statement to make. He didn't win the Southampton board over, did he? But um, it just seems to be a man who's always got a, grey cloud over his neck who is just waiting for the inevitable sacking so be interesting to see what Leicester can do a top half finish I would say would keep Pio in the job but you would have said that when he was Southampton manager so if there's one thing which is certainly in the Premier League it's that nothing's for certain so you know we'll have to see how that pans out Watford their manager Javi Grazia signed a new three year contract um, which is novel in itself because Watford have a uh, a very fast-moving, rotating door when it comes to, to managers. Maybe they've now sort of learnt that cohesion and longevity is the way forward. Again, there's no guarantees because um, a bad run of results could see Watford in the, the bottom three. You know, they are also due a post-Christmas slump. So this will be interesting, actually, because they have their own sort of boom and bust cycles, but it's in a very short period of time. that Their boom and bust cycle goes... Good start. Threatened to get into the top six by, say, October. Results just about tail off between now and the new year. And then as soon as the new year kicks in, a slow but gradual decline down the table where they'll finish 15th, 16th, just be safe relegation. Not really in the relegation sort of battle, but limping towards the end of the season where a manager runs out of ideas and loses the fans and the board and gets sacked and then they just repeat that cycle. So it'll be interesting to see if Grazia is the uh, the next in incumbent in that uh, process. To be fair, I don't think he will because his Watford team looks better. But they're a, they're, a, they're a mixed bag, aren't they? Because just as, as I've explained, they did start really well. Results have tailed off. So if you are sort of comparing them to the last few seasons, you are expecting them to have a, an awful nosedive come, uh, come January. We'll just have to wait and see, won't we? No one knows, but if you were a betting man you'd, and you looked at historical form, you'd be confident. But at the same time, and without being harsh, there are, shall I say, worse teams in the Premier League. And I'll use that sort of term lightly because it's hard to sort of define what is worse. But when you look at Watford's quality of squad and you look at other clubs, I don't know, uh, Huddersfield, uh, Cardiff, etc. Do you know what I mean? Like they on paper, are worse. So Watford should should be fine. Another team that should be fine is Brighton. 
They've put more daylight between themselves and the bracket of teams below them after a win at Huddersfield on Saturday. And they're also flying against Crystal Palace at the time of recording. 3-0, I believe it was at half-time, against their uh, motorway arch-rivals, Crystal Palace. Yes, a derby, which is um, 44 miles apart due to a stretch of road. It's, it's not just a stretch of road. There is some back history to it, but it's a bit weird. It's not like a, a city or a town rivalry. There is a good distance between the two clubs. Anyway, Brighton are putting Palace in the uh, the traffic there because it's 3-0 to Brighton. Ten men. So they'll put even further daylight between themselves in the bottom three. Um, they could be susceptible to second season syndrome. As I sort of just said, it doesn't really occur all that often. But again, it is a, a lazy cliche. We could say if Brighton were in trouble with like 15th, 16th, you go, oh, second season syndrome. That's not the case. Um, the fact that they won away um, is interesting. Well, Actually, yeah, I guess that's interesting. They won away from home, but also they won away and it was the first time they won in the Premier League after going behind, which is quite an interesting stat, I thought. They did so without Glenn Murray, which is a positive because it shows there's not necessarily an over-reliance um, on him. And like I say, if we're sort of looking at Jamie Vardy as someone in the twilight of his career, Glenn Murray's you know, in the darkness in terms of that. He has no light, but he's defying all the critics, still banging in goals. Um, whether he has one more season in the top flight, I don't know, but Brighton do need to sort of think of a succession plan. Um, do you know what? I can't for the life of me remember the, uh, the man who scored the goal. The Romanian international, could he be the one? It, who knows? Um, I think there, they might have a similar sort of situation to Tottenham with Harry Kane, where they have their talisman, and as long as he's fit, he'll get the game time and if you're the the understudy it's difficult to get the minutes to be up to the level where you need to be a consistent Premier League goal scorer so that Romanian striker again I forget his name he's going to find it hard to get the, the minutes he needs to be that man you know it will come in time but at the same time the Premier League is a results business you don't get that time look at the graveyard of Tottenham strikers as of late Soldado Janssen you could even put Lorenzo in there so it's really hard being an understudy when your number one is so firmly secured as your number one. But I'm sure Chris Hewton, he's not a stupid manager. He's a very wily old fox and he'll know that things will have to sort of change or be gradually sort of shifted towards new strikers. But that will come in time. And if Brighton can keep their heads above water this season, which they probably will, then next summer they become more established and then they go again in terms of spending. And I'm sure that will sort itself out. Will Huddersfield and Newcastle sort themselves out? Their recent runs have come to an end, but they can be pleased that their seasons are underway, more importantly, because, you know, had their impressive points hauls not been on the board, the scenarios would have been very different at the bottom. Huddersfield, 7 from 9. Um, Newcastle, 9 from 9. So, yeah, they'll be growing in confidence, but that confidence would have been tempered slightly at the weekend. Huddersfield, as I said... Uh, lost to Brighton. Ten men Huddersfield as well. Whether um, Steve Mooney should have got sent off, probably. That actually reminds me about um, Etienne Capu. He should have never been sent off because he was just literally standing on the ball. Now, it, I don't know. It was just such a, a poor referee's decision, really. There's no malice in that. It was two players that went together and they both sort of boasted on the ball. And it's just like, well, how can that be a red card? Mounier tried to pull out of it. Too much contact. Too high, more importantly, red card. So, yeah, that was the right decision. 
Uh, so yeah, like I say, Huddersfield losing to Brighton after going ahead early. Newcastle, second best in every department to West Ham. So, like I say, Rafa Benitez, the mood will be tempered up there, but at least they're, you know, they're floating now because they were sort of sinking fast. So they'll be, they'll be confident they can sort of dust themselves off. And now they've got wins, it won't seem so hard to get back into the winning ways. You know, when you're looking for that first win, it seems like it's never going to come. And all of a sudden you get three and you think, actually, this Premier League business isn't too hard. So they'll they'll be fine, but they're in the mix, aren't they, in terms of teams that could go down. I mean, really, when you look at the candidates, for use of a better term, of the, the seven in that, that bracket, maybe even eight, it's hard to really put your finger on who will go down. Because one week you think, yep, I know that's those three. And then two of those three will win, mixes it up the next week two of the three that they're in the bottom three and so on and so forth and it just everyone's picking points of each other keeps it tight keeps it certainly interesting but um, you'd have to be a brave or very clever man to uh, predict the three teams that are going to go down at this point because I I couldn't call it Um, if I had to call it if you want to lock this one in then we'll see if it's correct in May I will go Cardiff Burnley and um, Huddersfield. Yeah, okay. Let's make a note of that. If you Let's put that in a time capsule. And if we look back in uh, May, let's see if I'm correct. So let's reconvene on that one. Cardiff, Burnley and Huddersfield are my three teams to go down if I had to choose right now. I might be wrong. I might be right. We'll just have to wait and see. West Ham, they turned in their usual one decent performance in three. Something that probably is enough to keep them up. You know, they're always just get enough results at the right time. Um, they did sign to David Moyes in the second half of last season. They're very streaky. Like they're never really going to get a good run of form going, but when they're up against it, they find the result and it just keeps them clear of the, the bottom three. So no real issues there. Um, Wolves, they've got issues. One point out of 18. So their bright start can only really be absorbed for a little longer. Um I mean, on this podcast, we were crowing about, yeah, they'll be the best of the rest. They'll finish seventh, like, egg on our face there, really. I don't, I don't think they are going to be the best of the rest. I think we just got caught up in the excitement of a free-flowing team of Portuguese internationals. It just looked a little bit bit vibrant, a bit sexy. But, yeah, it's not so uh, sexy at the moment. I think it's just welcome to the Premier League for them, really. After such a good start, probably expectations were, were risen and then... I don't know, they've probably just hit a rut and I think they've probably started off to kick it on from the championship. That momentum has been carried forwards because sometimes you you win the championship and then you are starting from zero again. It's a case of whether you can propel it yourself after a two-month break and just kick off straight away, which they did, and now their slump has kicked in. And all teams will go through it, especially promoted teams. So it's, a, I guess, how they deal with this small crisis um, it doesn't get any easier when they've got Chelsea on Wednesday, so it's going to be tricky. Same time, though, they have held Man City to a draw, but that's when they're in the sort of midst of their good form. So this will be a test, um, but at the moment, again, are they relegation sort of candidates? Are they in that fold? Probably not, because if we sort of reference worse teams again, there are sort of... Um, you know, teams with lesser inferior players that would probably be struggling more. But then at the same time, Huddersfield got a great result there the other the other week. So are Wolves in a false position? 
Maybe. Maybe their good start is deceiving us slightly. I mean, without that, they'd be really in the mix. So we have to sort of see what happens, say, after the next two or three games. If they come out of the wrong side of the top half by the start of the year, let's say, you know, January, and they're sliding even further, you think, oof, like, this could get tricky for them. But at the same time, they have the money there to be spent if need be. Um, the current sort of crop of players they've got will easily be replenished. Could even be a case that someone like Ruben Neves is in the shop window in January. I know the sort of, I guess, gentleman's agreement there is that if you have a good season for us, good two seasons for us in the Premier League, then you'll go with our blessing. But don't be surprised if some of Europe's big, big names, I know he's been linked with likes of Juventus previously, are sort of just monitoring the situation with interest, as they say in the papers. Um, I don't think Nuno Espirito Santo will want to be selling any of his best players, but money does talk, and to be fair, they do have players there that are befitting talent of a, a bigger club. So whether that move comes straight away, I don't know. But Wolves will have to watch with interest, because it has been an interesting story, you know, straight out of the blocks, and then not so much uh, in terms of points at the moment. Well, one point out of 18. And that actually weirdly was a point away at Arsenal, which is actually a really good performance. So you could make a case for the fact that they're perhaps saving their best performances against the bigger teams, which then makes you think, well, hang on, could they get something out of the game against Chelsea? Um, Which I hope they don't, because that's one of my loser pool picks of the week. Good segue there. Um, We'll get to those in a minute. In terms of goal of the week, a couple of contenders, uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, like I said earlier, his second goal against Tottenham was a great goal, but unfortunately I'm going to give it to Junior Hoylet after his absolute screamer to earn Cardiff a win on Friday night as uh, Neil Warnock celebrated his 70th birthday. The um, the old, well I say wise head, he's a bit of a loudmouth, isn't he? The, old, the elder statesman, statesman, shall I say, of the Premier League uh, gets his... Um, Actually, is he the elder statesman or is Roy Hodgson older? Oh, I don't know. He's 70. He's just old. Um, yeah, a good win for Cardiff. They seem to be racking up quite a few at the moment. So after their sluggish start, they're again another team which is just doing all right, doing as what they would expect, maybe even better, to be honest. But um, just in the mix, it's, it's going to be cutthroat down there. If the teams keep picking off each other, like I say, it could be absolutely anyone who goes down. And that could be decided by um, results and fixtures such as this weekend. Because there's quite a few bitty ones. We look at um, Cardiff versus Southampton. That would be an interesting one. Is that a six-pointer? Mm, four and a half points. It's an important one, shall I say. It is a must-win game. Let's um, see if that was the first game that Ralph, whatever his name is, is um, going to be in charge. Which looks more than likely. But that would be a, an interesting clash. Yeah, is it one you want to stick your hat on in terms of loser pool, though? Probably not. I mean, you've got games like Arsenal-Huddersfield. If you were in the loser pool this week, you'd want to be picking Huddersfield if it was, if it was free. Um, Arsenal are just a different beast at home. So that's one you want to be hanging your hat on. What else have we got? Um, see, Chelsea-Man City. If you were really bold, would you go with Chelsea to lose? That's a tough call. Fulham away at Man United. Logic would dictate that Man United should win, but this season for United hasn't really been logical. So avoid that with um, caution. I would, yeah, don't approach that one. 
what else have we got? Uh, Burnley Brighton. That's an interesting one. I don't know. Brighton, they they are capable of winning away, as we saw last Saturday. But Burnley, oh, I don't know. That is a tough one. But again, it's, is it one that's too close to call and you don't really want to, to touch it? Um, here's one you might want to touch. Bournemouth at home to Liverpool. Like I say, the fixture computer has not been kind to, to Bournemouth. It's given them a slight rest in facing Huddersfield on Tuesday night. But it's uh, back to... Um, Back to the tough clashes on Saturday at the Vitality. I know they picked up a dramatic um, 4-3 win there. Was it last season, the season before? I can't remember now. Last season, I don't know, it's just too much football. It all blends into one, you see. I'm just trying to... Yeah, it did happen, though. Um, yeah, but um, that could be the one where you want to think, mm, if Bournemouth are available and you've not picked them yet, that could be one to tick. So Bournemouth at home to Liverpool is one you probably want to go for. Huddersfield at... Arsenal is probably one you want to go for as well. And what else? Um, Everton-Watford could be an interesting one. The Marco Silva derby. Um, obviously, Marco Silva going up against his former employers. Everton better at home. They were unfortunate not to win on uh, on Sunday. Like I say, they should have taken their chances. That could be... Hmm. I don't reckon that's a lock-in, but if you haven't got Bournemouth or Huddersfield available then that might be the one you want so yes weigh that one up I don't it's a tough one I wouldn't put the house on it but luckily you don't have to put your house on it to play loser pool it's only £2 or £10 depending on the stake £2 I think it is at the moment yes it is it's a £2 pool at the moment the £10 ones are following soon so yeah I mean like I say earlier the odds of winning loser pool the £1,000 price pot are really good but they're even better if you sign up so sign up at loserpool.com, create an account, and you can be part of it this week. So I'll just recap my hot picks for this week. Um, I reckon that Bournemouth will lose at home to Liverpool, Huddersfield will lose at home to Arsenal, and Watford will lose away at Everton. So if you fancy getting involved, give one of those three a go, and if you get through, no need to thank me. If you don't, I apologise. And I also apologise... For the end of the show, or you might be thinking, oh, what a relief, he stopped rattling on. Um, yeah, I hope I've done all right with no guests. A really annoying situation, honestly. I had guests lined up, and they've just gone rogue. And I don't just mean, oh, not replying. They've literally gone rogue to the point where they've deleted their Twitter account, which is just really, really weird. So um, the lesson learned there is don't put your faith in people where you don't really sort of... It just felt a bit iffy, so lesson learned there. But I won't be making the same mistake next week, because JS is back, yes. The wonderful JS from football and the city returns as we do another afternoon recording where we'll dissect all the Premier League action over the past, well, is it seven days? Yeah, I guess it would be. I don't know if we'll do the midweek football. There is just so much football and not enough podcast time. We're not quite at the point when we're going to do two hours, so don't worry about that. So I'm waffling on. I'm going to wrap this up. So it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is The Real Football Cast in association with Loser Paul. And until next time, goodbye. Sports Social Podcast Network.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.